Every aspect of your e-commerce business impacts customer experience. From advertising and packaging, to product functionality, website usability, and even reliability. Your long-term growth and profitability will hinge on your ability to deliver the best experience for your buyers. And this podcast will show you how. Tune in monthly for actionable and insightful discussions with the brightest minds at the intersection of e-commerce and customer experience. Welcome to the e-commerce customer experience podcast presented by Digital Genius. I'm your host, Chris Kellner. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the e-commerce customer experience podcast. I'm pleased to be sitting down with Ian Golding today. Welcome, Ian. Um, Ian, to get you kick-started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I shall do, Chris. Thank you so much for inviting me. As people will discover, um, this subject is very close to my heart, so we'll see if we can cram everything into this short period of time. I'm a global customer experience specialist, Chris, which I, I always have to say to people is a real job, even though it doesn't sound like one. I've been doing this for over 27 years now. I know people can't see us, so I don't think they can see us, but I haven't gone grey, which is a mystery to most people. I spent 17 years in the corporate world, the last 10 and a half years working independently, helping organisations to, as I call it, operationalise customer experience. And I, up until now, have worked in more than 50 countries around the world with almost every industry you can imagine. And the only other thing I like to tell people is that I teach a professional qualification in customer experience. Most people don't even know there is a professional qualification. And I was the first person in the world authorized to teach people to get it, which, again, I always have to tell people because it's the one and only time in my life I'll be the first person to achieve something. So I I always like to squeeze that in. (laughs) No. That is really amazing. And from what I understand, you're the only person in the world that also has that qualification and is able to do that. Uh, No, that's not quite true. There are quite a few now, but I was the first one in 2015, which feels like a long time ago now, but there are others dispersed um, globally on every continent now. Amazing. Can you tell us a little bit of it, maybe go back a little bit on kind of that journey from maybe the corporate world to how you've created your own consultancy, what that looked like? Yeah, I'd love to. So I've had a, what I would describe as a very traditional upbringing. So my path was one that my parents had intended from the very beginning. You might appreciate this, Chris. School, you know, go to university, get a job, you know, get married, have kids, very, very traditional. And from a working perspective, I never quite knew what I wanted to do. I'm one of those that, you know, you you get to the end of your school life and think, what am I going to do? And I didn't have any definition. So I did a business studies degree and still didn't know what I wanted to do. And to cut a very long story short, I ended up working in the financial services industry for Royal Bank of Scotland and Deutsche Bank, and then eventually ended up working for GE. Many people listening will know who GE is, but GE is no longer the organization that it once was, used to be one of the largest organizations in the world. And it might sound slightly extreme, but GE genuinely changed my life from a working perspective because I was immersed into an organization whose philosophy was all about doing the right thing for the customer, which sounds so ridiculously obvious, but 
it was the first time I'd been in an organisation where they meant it. And I'm old enough to have been fortunate to be in GE when it was still led by Jack Welch, who's still widely regarded as one of the most transformational business leaders of all time. And it was just very eye-opening for me. You know, it was all about the customer. And what I didn't realise is that I was being moulded into a customer experience professional in a world that didn't even really know what customer experience was. I eventually left GE and leaving GE was also eye-opening because I realised how unsophisticated other organisations were and they didn't necessarily have the same perspective on doing the right thing for the customer. And over the years, I moved into various different industries from outsourcing to food service and then eventually online retail. But G had very much affected my mentality that whatever it is that I do, it's all about enabling an organization to understand how to become better at meeting the needs and expectations of customers. It, bizarrely, even though my career started in 1995, so people can try and calculate just how old I am, it was only in 2005 that I first had customer experience in my job title, but it was only in 2011 that customer experience was recognized as a profession. So I've been doing this for a long time without anyone really knowing what it was. And since 2011, so much of what I do has been about developing that profession, not just developing my own business, but helping organizations and practitioners alike to understand how to apply what I call the science of customer experience. So I spend roughly 50% of my time consulting and helping organizations, the other 50% of my time sharing knowledge, as I call it. And I shall continue to do that for as long as people will listen to me. That's quite some journey. I'm sure a lot of people have kind of resonate with the idea of leaving a big corporate where everything's very structured early on in their career and suddenly being being at a, a younger company or your own company and it being a massive shock to the system where things are done. The biggest shock to the system is that, and, and people listening to this may resonate with what I'm about to say, but when you work in the corporate world and you're driven by wanting to do the right thing, you don't necessarily realize at the time that the corporate world doesn't want you to do the right thing. It might sound like I'm being ideological, but you know, you'd think that's what organizations are there to do. But you know, what most corporate organizations, especially commercially driven organizations, are trying to do the right thing for the organization, not for the customer or for the employee. And so when you're trying to get people to think differently, you know, it's not about the fee, it's about doing that. You are fighting against a very different mindset. And for much of my 17 years in the corporate world, I constantly questioned my sanity. Is there something wrong with me? Because whenever I was trying to do the right thing, people were almost humiliating me or trying to, you know, bully me to say, oh, shut up, you know, move into and. It's only when you leave the corporate world and you go out on your own and actually you decide that I am now going to practice what I've been preaching for a long time, but with people that want to listen, that it is almost like moving into a parallel universe. And my very first client relationship, you know, I'll never forget the first time I sat down in front of a board of directors and the board of directors were asking me for my diagnosis on what was happening in their organization. 
And for an hour, everything I said, they agreed with it. Every single thing I said, they agreed. And it was the first time in my working career that had ever happened. And I wanted to stop halfway through and phone my wife. And so they're agreeing with everything I'm saying. So, yeah, it is. I think there are times when that well-known phrase of the imposter syndrome, I think in the corporate world, you can very often feel like an imposter. And it sometimes takes coming out of that to realize that you're not. You know, you've, you have been doing and saying the right things, but you're not always working with others who feel the same. No, I think that's a, that's a great story. And I'm sure you know, many people have followed a similar path. And the, the earlier on you can get out of your, the corporate world in your career, probably the better it stands you. And if you really can find a passion, which you clearly have, you know, that can really create an amazing career for yourself. just like you have done. <laughs> you know, it's not easy doing it. But yeah, I think many people will agree that what I do is a vocation rather than a, a job. And I am lucky that I've sort of found my way into this. But um, I think that the key point is, if you feel that you're going mad, you're probably not, you know, and, and if that's the case, then just just have a little dabble and see what you could potentially do on your own you might be surprised let's turn a little bit into the kind of your customer experience consultancy and and i'm sure over the last you know 10 years 10 plus years you've seen and observed a lot what what would you say is how's your teaching evolved over the last 10 years what you realize i've always liked teaching for want of a better word i described it as sharing knowledge, which is very much my philosophy. I've always believed that rather than teaching, which seems a bit sort of one directional, my view is that you need to give knowledge to others so they can apply that knowledge themselves. Uh, And that's very much underpinned what, what I've done for most of my career. Things have really evolved because you never stop learning. Now, this might sound a little bit sort of almost like a marketing slogan. But one of the things I'm very pedantic about is that I call myself a specialist and not an expert. And that's very intentional. I get called an expert by others a lot, guru and all those kind of words. I genuinely don't like those words because it suggests I know everything. And one thing I can say for certain is that I don't know everything. And the world of customer experience is so diverse largely because no one organization is the same, no environment is the same, you can't possibly know everything. And my role as a specialist in this field is to never stop learning. And every day, every week, every month, every year, I genuinely learn something new. I've also made many mistakes doing this. And when you become a consultant, you suddenly realize that you are in a very different space to being employed. And rather than pushing water uphill, People are now asking you for your opinion and they want to know what you think. And the the biggest mistake I made at the very beginning is that I got very excited by that. You know, when when you find your vocation, it's your passion. It excites you. So when people say to you, what do we need to do here? You know, your natural tendency is to tell them everything. Right. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. But actually, that's not the right way to help an organization. I suppose the analogy, this is probably not a great analogy, but if you're seeing a counsellor because you're depressed, you know, what you don't want is the counsellor to give you a list of 500 things that you suddenly need to go and do to change your state of mind. And so what I've learned over the last 10 years is that you've got to be very, very patient and very 
but patient but tenacious in your ability to help people. And so even though every fibre in your body is screaming, do these things, sometimes you've just got to hold back and just drip feed little bits of information to help the organisation you're working with to move in the right direction. And that may mean that, you know, it's going far too slowly for your liking, but actually it's the right thing. So a very important attribute of the profession that customer experience has become is the ability to interpret the scenario you're working in. You know, you cannot approach one client in the same way as another. And as I say, when you're so excited about it, it, it's quite hard at the beginning, but that's what you learn over time. Okay. What would you say, you know, right now, would be the main, you know, top kind of two or three things that, you know, that customer experience professionals are discussing with you and, and seeing as challenges in their business. So some of these things are constant. Some of these things are sort of current, if that's the best way to describe it. Sustaining the focus on customer experience is a huge issue. At the end of the day, whilst organisations like talking about customer experience, just talking about it doesn't mean that they're actually doing it. And as we all know, we're living in such a complex world right now with coming out of a pandemic. For us in the UK, we've got Brexit overlaid on top of that. We've now got this cost of living crisis and a global economic crisis, possibly driven by a quite interesting political situation in the UK. There are, there's so, so much going on. How do you sustain the focus on something like customer experience when, in addition to that environment, there are lots of competing priorities? You know, talking to someone whose company is, you know, about very much led by the subject of digital. You know, we live in a digitally obsessed world and digital evolution is also a very important priority to organizations. But another thing that I'm constantly talking to the profession about is Whilst digital is critical to the evolution of customer experience, far too many organizations are adopting digital technology in isolation of understanding the customer journey. And largely because the motivation for digital in many cases is wrong, because the motivation is that digital is seen as a way of eliminating human interaction and cutting cost. And by doing so, Whilst organisations may well cut costs, they make experiences worse. So that's another significant issue. And then the third one, if I just if I'm allowed to have three, um, the third one is this growing recognition of the need to have an alignment between the employee experience and customer experience. Customer experience has been the focus over the last ten to fifteen years or so. But the most customer-centric organizations in the world have always known you can't deliver great customer experiences until or unless you're delivering great employee experiences. So there is a growing rhetoric now on needing to operationalize that, for want of a better description. But whilst customer experience is a recognized profession, employee experience isn't. There is very little definition as to what employee experience is. And so that is a, a definitely something that people need to very much increase their awareness and understanding of as we move to the end of 2022 into 2023. Okay, interesting. And what would you say is, you know, if you had to pick out like one obstacle that gets in the way and one may, I'm sure there are many, many, but you know, what, if you had to pick out one obstacle that gets in the way of 
you know, your custom. Every time the biggest weakness, and this is pan industry and pan geography, is lack of accountability. The professional qualification that I teach has a number of competencies that define that profession. One of those competencies is culture and accountability. And actually, if I were to score the world's ability to apply all of the competencies, that's the one I would score lowest. And they obviously go hand in hand, but the lack of accountability for customer experience is astonishing. It's partly down to a lack of knowledge in education. And I don't mean that to sound patronizing, but those that lead businesses, they really don't understand the science that sits behind the words customer experience. You might not have heard it described as a science before, but that's what I call it. Among other things, I'm the course director for customer experience for the Chartered Institute of Marketing. Even a professional body like the CIM has never taught customer experience. So, so you've got people in, in the C-suite who have never really understood what is required to become a sustainably customer-centric organization. And what that means is that most organizations, their customer experience effort is being led by one or two people who get it, but they're dragging everyone else with them, kicking and screaming. And what that then often results in is that whoever has customer experience in their job title is seen as being accountable for the customer experience. But that's not the case. Everyone in the organization is accountable for it. And that lack of understanding at the top table of that collective need for accountability is the biggest single reason why organizations are failing to tangibly transform. If you were a CX leader facing exactly that challenge, accountability and ownership and culture, how would you advise them or recommend them to overcome that inside their own organization? So within the context of what I said before, that no one organization is the same. So the approach has to be adapted to the scenario, but without question, structure, structure, structure. Sorry, that sounded like Liz Trustman, which I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but, not today. The lack of governance and structure for customer experience is a problem. And what I mean by that is too much of what is happening is tactical. It's people doing certain things like, for example, having a voice of the customer measurement program in place, which is great. But I talk about customer experience very much using the analogy of a jigsaw puzzle. And what you need to identify are the pieces of the jigsaw required for you to become sustainably customer centric. Now, for an organization to be sustainably customer centric, it would ultimately mean that the organization is able to differentiate itself, not just on its products and services, but on the whole experience, okay? Now, for that to happen, there are a number of different competencies that are required. Those competencies are the jigsaw puzzle. And many organizations actually do have the pieces of the puzzle that are required. Other pieces, for example, are the right measurement a customer experience strategy, a culture that enables people to think and act in the interest of the customer, for example. The point I'm making is that whilst it's important to have those pieces of the puzzle, if you don't actually connect them together, you never end up seeing the picture, the picture that should represent the experience you want your customers to have. Too often, 
because there isn't a framework. Companies have the pieces, but they're not connecting them together because it's only when you connect them together that you can see where the gaps are. So a long-winded answer to your question, Chris, but it is absolutely essential to have a framework that the leadership of the organization is accountable for that allows you to then determine how mature is the organization in adopting those different elements of the framework and what needs to be done over time to continually increase maturity. I think it's really interesting. And I know looking at your experience as well, you've had a fair amount of time in retail working with e-commerce brands. You know, what would particularly stick out for you in e-commerce? The online retail, e-commerce, whether it's retail or other industries, is, I think, a a fascinating example of how customer experience can enable transformation. Now, transformation is a word that not all organizations like to talk about. But if I just clarify what I'm saying, I consider myself to be very fortunate to have had some of the experiences that I have. And whilst my 17 years in the corporate world was challenging, you know, I needed those experiences to enable me to, to do what I do today. And my experience working for a company that at the time was known as Shop Direct is now known as the Very Group was, I mean, again, it has been so significant in defining what I do now. But the most significant thing of all is the story of that organization, because those who don't know the Very Group, it actually started its life as various catalog retailers. In fact, two catalogue retailers specifically. One of them was Littlewoods based in Liverpool. The other was Shop Direct based in Manchester. Two legacy catalogue retailers, both over 100 years old. And this particular organisation was created in 2002, merging those two retailers together. Now, what was interesting is that they were both competitors of each other, They both hated each other, partly because of geography, but not only were they catalogue retailers, they were also physical. They had department stores. At the time, Littlewoods had over 200 department stores. Some people might be old enough to remember Index. I'm really getting into people's um, sort of long distant memories. Why am I sharing all of this? I'm sharing all of this because it's actually a story, I think, in, in retail globally that sort of goes under the radar, largely because they're they're sort of brands that, for the majority, doesn't really play a part in people's lives because those brands were aimed at a lower demographic, people with less disposable income. The reason I'm sharing this is that in 2002, the shareholders of that organisation recognised that the world was changing. The world was changing and people were interacting with retailers differently. And they recognised that because catalogue retailing was starting to significantly demise and people were starting to transition online. And as they were transitioning online, actually the relevance of the physical offer was also declining. So in 2002, the shareholders of that organisation made the decision to transition the business from being omnichannel, as we call it today, to being a digital-only retailer. Now, if you think back to 2002, the rest of the retail world almost certainly was looking at them thinking, you are completely mad. You know, what on earth are you doing? 
They closed. By 2005, all of the stores were gone. They transitioned online. It was only in about 2010 that that business started to make any money. It lost money for years. But what they understood is that customer behavior had changed. And what they were brilliant at was utilizing data to understand that. One of the wonderful things about e-commerce is that online retailers have had access to customer data in a way that many other organizations have only had in recent times. And it was their ability to interpret that data, utilize that data, leveraging some of the things that Tesco did, actually, with organizations like Dunhumby to really determine how they needed to change the proposition to give customers the experience that they needed. That organization today is arguably one of the most innovative online retailers in the world. You know, when I started 200 department stores, 20,000 employees, seven contact centers, three warehouse. I mean, honestly, it was like this a gigantic empire. It is now a fraction of the size that it ever was, but it is now more profitable than it has ever been in its existence. And so, again, I know it's a very long-winded answer to your question, Chris, but I think it, what it all comes down to is, firstly, that ability to have the courage to recognize the need to change, the need to transform. Obviously, there are other retail examples we could talk about that didn't and no longer exist, but we shan't name them. But it's also that ability to utilize data data and measurement to get a much better understanding of your customers and customer behavior so you can adapt the experience to be much better able at meeting their needs and expectations. Uh, I think that that's really interesting. And actually, it's a question we, we often ask at the end of the podcast to all of our, to anyone, everyone who comes on to say, if there was one brand out there that you would really admire who all that will be, well, Clearly, you've, you've already answered that, so I, I won't cover that again. But I think uh, the very group story is, is one that we follow closely at Digital Genius. It's, it's really an amazing story. And they were definitely one of the leaders here in the UK when it comes to online retail. And yeah, what would you? Let me quickly just answer that. One of the, because you, uh, you're now getting to realize that I'll always sneakily add something else in. Just in addition to that, I know a lot of people talk about Amazon. And Amazon is a bit divisive, actually, because as we know, there's a lot of things reported in the media about the way they treat their employees. And now, in my opinion, a lot of what's reported about Amazon isn't true. But Amazon, I still believe, are the best example of an organization that has created an experience that is more accessible than any other. But what people often don't consciously remember with Amazon is that Amazon do not differentiate on their products and services. Amazon sell exactly the same stuff as everyone else. It is not the product or service that differentiates Amazon. It's how easy they've made it to get to those products and services. And again, that is what e-commerce should be about. It should be about making that experience so accessible that your customers actually remember how easy it was. It's not the product or service that's driving them to you. It's how easy it is that, to interact with you. Sorry, just my sneaky addition. No, no, I, Amazon is another brand, of course, that everyone in the e-commerce world also looks up to. So, Ian, if you were going to take your crystal ball out now and you were going to look, you know, say, three to five years into the future with your customer experience and maybe your e-commerce hat on as well, you know, what would you say would be you know, where would you say customer experience will go? 
So I think without question, the alignment of employee experience and customer experience will become increasingly significant. It has to become uh, something that is much more consciously put together. But beyond that, I think my biggest concern right now is there is still a significant lack of knowledge and understanding as to what's required to be sustainably customer centric. And so my hope looking in my crystal ball is that customer experience will be seen as something of more significance in more organizations. It's not something that is really just paid lip service, but customer experience is elevated to being seen as importantly as the commercial performance of an organization. In a way, what I would like to see is a much greater abundance of customer experience professionals sitting at the top table. Right now, they are not. They're reporting in to people at the top table who don't really understand it. In the future, I would like to see chief experience officers or whatever we want to call them, but who genuinely have the knowledge required to become, uh, help their organizations become customer-centric, sitting alongside CEOs, COOs, and everyone else. Yeah, I think at Digital Genius, we share that belief. We would love to see more chief customer officers as well on our side. And Ian, last question from our side. You know, if for kind of the CX leaders on this podcast, if you had to give, and I know there's been many, many, many things you've said today, which they're going to take away and be really insightful. But if you had to give one piece of advice to them in their kind of day to day, what would you say that would be? So the advice I will always give is that there is a, an unwritten competency is part of the profession. And that is courage, persistence and sheer bloody mindedness. This is hard. I argue that the customer experience profession is quite probably one of the hardest professions of all. And if you're going into this profession with the view of you're going to make a seven-figure salary, this is not the profession for you. This is a profession where you can genuinely make a difference, make a difference not just for customers, but for employees and shareholders alike. But you have got to be prepared to have the courage to bash your head against a brick wall continually, because that is often what it feels like. But that's normal. That's That comes with the territory. And so to get through that, the biggest piece of advice is network, network, network. The customer experience community is actually a very caring, sharing community. There are lots of people like me who mentor, guide, and support other professionals. Not because we want to be paid for it, but because we want to support each other. So if you're not already, reach out to the community. Reach out to me and I'll connect you with people because you are not alone. In 2005, I thought I was the only one. I thought it was just me, you know, but it isn't. There are thousands like you out there make sure you're talking to them because they will support you, guide you, and give you the strength to keep going however hard it might feel. Well, Ian, I think that is is a great way to finish the podcast. I think you've you've shared so many insightful learnings today. If I had to summarize, and summarizing today is not easy, I would probably say three main things have have stuck out to me. I think sustaining focus is number one when when so many things are thrown at you in in the customer experience world. 
aligning the employee and customer experience. And that's what we talk about a lot of digital genius with, with, with a lot of our customers. And I think final thing, which you've just said, network, 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 and learn from your peers and, and experts like, like Ian in this world. So Ian, thank you again. It's been great having you on. Hopefully we can welcome you back soon. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listened. Bye-bye. Thank you. The e-commerce customer experience podcast is brought to you by Digital Genius. Digital Genius uses cutting-edge AI technology to streamline response times for support tickets. The platform allows for flexible integration into existing systems and control over your processes, while significantly improving key performance metrics. To find out more about Digital Genius and how our intuitive platform combines AI, integrations and workflows to make your customers, team and mailbox happy, head to digitalgenius.com. Also, make sure to search for e-commerce customer experience in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Digital Genius, thank you for listening.